All right. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Awesome. Well, we took a week off from here. I uh, saw a lot of y'all there at Easter. Um, that's actually, if you're unfamiliar with how we do that, that's there's two times a year, I think, that we meet together as campuses, and Easter is one of them. Uh, the other is Church in the Park. So it was good to see a lot of you all there. I, I hope that you got to see some new faces and meet some new people. Um, we are one church, two campuses. So um, those are people that um, have a vested interest in uh, our our body here. Um, and Cody did a great job preaching the word. Before we get into the text this morning, I want you to imagine a situation real quickly. Just in your head, just think about this. You have a friend who is not super spiritual, they don't go to church, they definitely don't read the Bible, Uh, might be a friend from high school, uh, maybe an acquaintance, they claim to know God, but they're not really living in any kind of spiritual or Christian kind of way, you definitely have deep concerns about the state of their soul and their standing before God. Then one day you're having lunch with them, And they either saw something on TV or they bought a book somewhere or they read an article and let's say it's a book. And this book gets them like super jacked up about God. And they're really now starting to get interested in God and they're starting to show signs of spiritual life, a lot of energy, a lot of fervor, a lot of emotion, and they're just telling you all about it at lunch. However, you know that this particular article, book, um, could be a, you know like a, a person they, they watch on TV, whatever. You know this particular book makes claims that are contrary to the Bible. And... You have a choice. You can either not want to put out the flame and let it go. Um, This happened to me once just with a a family member who really started to listen to a certain person that uh, was not preaching the gospel. Um, Or you can decide to show them in love what God's Word says so that they can know the truth about the true and living God. Which one do you choose? Don't say out loud. The reason I posed that question this morning is because we're looking this morning at the well-known story of Jesus and the woman at the well. I think most of us, raise your hand if you've ever read that, that's this, this passage. Okay, so we're familiar with it. I think this story is so well-known because it's an example of how far Jesus is willing to go to be kind and to love those whom others don't think are willing or, or are worth willing or even worth loving, I guess is, is a way to put it. But Jesus' compassion and His kindness in this text is only part of the story. The crux of this passage is about right worship of God. Jesus loved the woman at the well, but He loved her with the truth. As we're going to see, Jesus has a choice to either let this woman continue worshiping in ignorance or to truly love her by showing her the truth. And as we're going to see, this world says that you get to pick between truth and love. 
As we're going to see, Jesus says truth and love are actually wrapped up in the same thing, even the same person. So without any further ado, if you'll go ahead and and stand for the reading of God's Word. This is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. And the Holy Spirit says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard about Jesus, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, this hour, the hour is coming when neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say they are, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, please give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. Show us what your son Jesus meant when he said that true worshipers of God worship you in spirit and in truth. Give us fresh eyes to see what a wonderful truth that is. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. You can be seated. Pretty long passage. If I could bring out one overarching lesson from Jesus' encounter with this woman, it would be this. Jesus has come to satisfy the longing in our hearts by correcting our spiritual ignorance and by showing us the right way to worship God. Jesus has come to satisfy the longing in our hearts by correcting our spiritual ignorance and by showing us the right way to worship God. So, this is a long passage, so let's start with the first six verses and go from there. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I think it's interesting that John says that Jesus didn't baptize anyone personally. Did you catch that? I was kind of wondering why that was, so I, I looked up uh, some commentaries. I, John Calvin's was actually the best one I could find. This is why, ja this is why Calvin thinks that uh, Jesus wasn't baptizing anyone, and I think he's right. Quote-unquote, In order to inform us that baptism ought not to be estimated by the person of the minister but that its power depends entirely on its author, in whose name and by whose authority it is conferred. Do you see what he said there? In other words, Jesus wanted to demonstrate that the significance and the effect of baptism is not ultimately dependent on who is baptizing, but upon the name in which you're being baptized. So, for instance, May 20th, here in about a month, we're going to be baptizing Shay Smith. Who's, uh, who's recently come to, to worship with us. About She's been here about three or four weeks. I hope you've gotten to, to know her. When I baptize Shay and I dunk her in that water, it is no more efficacious, it's no more significant because Abby's doing the baptizing. It's, we're celebrating not the fact that I'm the one administering it, we're celebrating the fact that she's come to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Pharisees hear that Jesus is baptizing more disciples, so he has to go up to, he leaves, goes to Galilee, and John says in the Greek that it was necessary that Jesus pass through Samaria. So, in order to dissect this passage, I think context is very critical here. Um, it is in all the passages we look, but in this one it's especially important just for the geographical and socio political things that are going on in Samaria at this time. Samaria is a region just north of Judea, just south of Galilee. So 
In some sense, John is right. He had to go through Samaria. Samaritans are ethnically half Jew and half Gentile. That means that Jews and Samaritans don't get along because Jews, in essence, look at them as pagans. In 721 B.C., after the Assyrians take the northern kingdom of Israel and they're deported... After that happens, the Jews actually, after the captivity, the Jews come home, but some of them stay and intermarry with Assyrians. And what you have afterwards are people who call themselves Samaritans. And so the the Jews look down on Samaritans. But it's not just an ethnic divide, it's actually a religious divide. Around 400 B.C., Samaritans had built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and it was actually destroyed by the Jews in 128 B.C. because the Jews weren't going to have anyone calling their temple the true temple. They wanted to insist real worship, real temple in Jerusalem. Which is why the Samaritan woman actually tells Jesus, said, you people said, i got to go to Jerusalem. So there's some context there. But most importantly, Samaritans actually believe that Holy Scripture was only the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So Jesus is actually passing through a land with different people, different religion, different Bible, but who claim to be worshiping the same God. Sounds a lot like America. Just saying. It's about the sixth hour, which is noon. It's really hot. Jesus is sitting by the well, and all of a sudden comes a Samaritan woman who's by herself. It's important. And this is actually what he says. Verses 7-15. through A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So not only is Jesus openly conversing with another woman who is a Samaritan, not good, but he's talking with a woman who's by herself, which is taboo. Little scandalous during this time. Remember, Isaac and Jacob in the Old Testament met their wives at wells. So this is like the social hotspot in some sense. This is like the, you know, it's like the Old Testament bread and butter. The paper went. You know, um, except Franklin wasn't giving them coffee at that time. Um, but there were herds. Um, for Jesus is talking to a single woman. Okay? The question at this point is, He's telling her that He's got living water. In verse 9, John reminds us Jews don't mess with Samaritans. So I would, I would say in this instance, what Jesus is doing right now with this Samaritan woman is even bolder and even more brazen, I would say, than him sitting with a tax collector. 
Jesus is transcending ethnic and social boundaries in order to be kind to this woman. And then he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for living water. Begging the question, what in the world is living water? He actually explains this later in chapter 7. I'm just going to read it real quick. This is what he says in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. Whoever believes in me, this is Jesus talking, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is what John says. Now this he had said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So living water is the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that if we're going to understand what he's telling this woman. It's midday, it's in the Middle East, it's really hot, people are coming to the well to quench their thirst. Scholars have actually said that at one point, this might have been the deepest well in Israel. So it's really cold, people are really happy to be there, it's the desert, and then Jesus comes up to her and says, this stuff ain't nothing to compare to what I have. This stuff won't quench your thirst. I have living water, you satisfy you forever. You have to keep coming back for this stuff. The stuff I give you will actually create a well inside of you. A spring, is what he says. So if I'm a Samaritan woman, I'm a little freaked out because this guy says that he's going to build a spring that's going to come out of my body. But verse 14, I think even I'm glad that uh, Ben read this. Verse 14 for me is the linchpin. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what Jesus means is the Holy Spirit that indwells a Christian will actually, right now, that Holy Spirit inside of you is what Paul calls a good deposit. It's an inheritance. Um, or sorry, it's, it's, it's your... Um, it's, basically what Jesus gives you, guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. So that very same Spirit that indwells a Christian today will bubble up into eternal life. So heaven is overflowing with the Holy Spirit. That very same Spirit that indwells a Christian today is the very same life that will, indwe- will basically overtake them and consume them and actually glorify us at the return of Jesus. By the time He's done, the Samaritan woman says, I want this water. Where'd I sign up? So some people might go, Jesus, why are you bringing up... Actually, I just missed a page. Now I want to stop here for a second, and because Jesus does something that a lot of people would not do, He goes somewhere, it's a little personal, and a lot of people would think it was pretty awkward, but Jesus insists. Instead of Him just giving her this vague picture of God, instead of Him just patting her on the back and saying, pray this prayer, honey, if you do your best, you're fine. It's not about denominations. It's not about differences. You know, you just, just kind of go your own way. Jesus decides to get personal and lay down some truth. So instead of telling her it's okay to keep reading the book she's reading, instead of telling her it's okay to keep living the way she's living, instead of telling her it's okay to keep worshiping God the way she wants to worship Him, Jesus says in verse 22, You worship what you don't know. Let me help you to see the truth. And then for just a second, it gets kind of uncomfortable. Verses 16 through 19, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. (laughs) Does anybody else think that's funny? 
Talk about one of the biggest understatements of the Bible. Sir, I perceive you're not a prophet. So either this woman is being really sarcastic, either she's really trying to dodge and get off topic, or she's absolutely stunned that Jesus knows her life story. Probably two out of three. Where's your husband? I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five husbands and you're living with another man. If I were her, I'd be like, kind of walked me into that one, didn't you? Um, now, I would think some people today would be like, why is this relevant? Why is Jesus bringing up this woman's past? He has no right to do that. Jesus, why do you insist on digging up wounds? Aren't you supposed to be talking about the kingdom of God? Why are you talking about accusing this woman of, of being an adulteress? Wherever Jesus is taking this woman, she can't get there without staring the truth in the face. Raise your hand if you've ever met somebody that wants to love Jesus without owning up their own sin. That's what our flesh wants. Jesus loves this woman so much, He's not going to give her anything less than the truth. This world says that in order to bring people to God, we have to love them no matter what truth they decide to believe in without bringing up old wounds. And what John is showing us here is the way to truly care for people in this world, in this life, is not to trade truth for love, but to offer them truth in love. Our world makes you pick between truth and love. Like you have, can have one and not the other. And the result is, today, truth means a lot of things, and love certainly means just as many. But Jesus is saying there's one truth, and it's only through that truth you know what true love is. Some people might go, Jesus, why are you bringing up this woman's past? But the truth is that we're filthy sinners in need of forgiveness, and you can't reach out for God's grace until you start owning up to your need for grace. This is the great physician, I think, doing surgery right here. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Living and incarnate. Costly grace is the gospel is that the gospel must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. So by the time Jesus is done with this woman, she's not simply asking for living water, she's actually telling other people where to get it. And I'll just say this, thank God for uncomfortable conversations that are wrapped in love. Raise your hand. How many people in here have ever can look back to someone who had the courage to have a really uncomfortable conversation with you that you hated at the time, but that you're thankful for now. When I was in college, my college youth pastor, Taylor Lazenby, pretty important here. When I was in college, he took me out to lunch to butter me up. Took me out to, I think it was like Jimmy John's or something. I thought I was just getting a good lunch with my youth pastor. I should have known better because he, what he really wanted to tell me was that the relationship I was in was super sinful and I needed to get out of it. And I said, check please. Really awkward conversation. I had some very candid words to say to him and I didn't act really... I acted like a 21-year-old. And I went back to the University of Kentucky like five years ago and I found him He's still, same job, Christian Student Fellowship, still leading 
screw tape letter, Bible studies, and I said, thank you for saying that. I mean, I hated you at the time. He's like, I know you did. It's like, that obvious? He's like, oh yeah. And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad you did. Um, I said, well, I, you know, I, I'm not married to that young lady anymore. He's like, I know. <laughs> it's like, if, you, if you tried, I would have stopped you. I was like, okay, that's good. Um, and I thank him for that now. Because it was a very uncomfortable conversation. I think the most, sometimes the most significant conversations we can have with other people are the ones where we stare our sin in the face. See, we don't want to do that. Jesus is not going to let this woman out of the conversation without talking about her sin and calling her sin what it is. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Verses 20 through 24. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. You must you worship what you do not know, Jesus says. You worship what you do not know. He's calling her out. He's saying, you're, you're worshiping God in ignorance. But He's not doing it hatefully. He's doing it lovingly. He's doing it truthfully. See, what you don't see Jesus doing here is saying, you know, it's fine. Whatever makes you feel close to God, you go ahead and do it, honey. What, hey, whatever book you want to read, whatever preacher you want to listen to, it's, how many times you ever heard this? Hey, I'm a, you know, I, I, I know they're... What's the saying I hear a lot of parents use now? Um, I'm just happy they're going to a church. That is not what Jesus is telling this woman. Hey, I'm just happy you're going to a temple. That's not what He's saying. He's saying, no, 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 no. You don't get to worship God the way you want to. You get to worship God the way He says you come to Him. I think it's very hard today for many of us to go up to other people who are living ignorantly and following after an image they created in their head of God and go, hey, you're worshiping something you don't understand. That's hard. Why? Because our flesh says we're being judgmental. In fact, I would say somebody who doesn't have a knowledge of Scripture is going to read this passage here and go, man, Jesus is being real judgy. I think it's hard for many of us to tell people you're living in ignorance and you need to worship the true and living God. Why do we need to correct people's spiritual ignorance? Well, because He's our God. Because if God is God and we want a relationship with God, right knowledge of God is important. It's like, I mean, it's like Logan coming up to me and go, hey man, I want to be your friend, let's hang out, let's be homies, but can I just... While I'm doing that, can I tell myself you're Chinese instead of American? No! You're going to be my friend. You better know me. Don't make up a version of me. If we want to know Jesus, we better know Jesus. Right worship of God becomes starts with right knowledge of God. Jesus wants this woman to know God and to know the real God. Raise your hand. Has anyone ever had a conversation like this where somebody goes... Happens in college a lot, but I think I'm, I hear it more and more today. Um, somebody will go, you know, I, I know there's a Bible, but there's so many different interpretations today. How many? How, how do I know which one's right? 
I mean, I feel like, if I, you know, they say something's wrong, they say it's right. I mean, that just sounds a little narrow-minded to say you've got the way. How many times have you ever heard somebody say that? Somebody who's frustrated by all the different interpretations. That's really common today. Well, first of all, that person is almost implying that there can't be one truth. But this is what Jesus says in verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Jesus says there's not only a truth, you can know the truth. So what Jesus is not doing here is He's not saying, because at the very end He says, for salvation is from the Jews. What He's not saying is, um, I'm right because I'm a Jew and you're wrong because you're a Samaritan. That's not what He's saying. What Jesus is saying is, I worship what I know because God, the true and living God, has revealed Himself to the Jews. To the people who say that everybody has their interpretation and that we should just kind of give up on thinking that there's one right interpretation, I have two questions for those kinds of people. One, do you believe there's a God? I hope. And if you believe there's a God, do you believe that the Bible is His Word? And if you believe the Bible is His Word, then regardless of the way that one person interprets it or another, we have to start with one invariable truth, and that is there is a truth. If there is not one truth, there cannot be one church. At Haynes Creek, we worship what we know because we know that God has revealed Himself in His Word. What Jesus is saying to this woman is, your knowledge of God is incomplete. It's not okay to worship God the way we want or any way we can think of. There's one way to worship God because there's one way living. His name is Jesus. Jesus died so that we could worship God the right way. If you don't think there's spiritual ignorance in the world, just check Facebook. What Jesus is telling this woman is, your worship is wrong, but here's the truth. It's through me. Now back to the skeptic. Inevitably, there are many people who go, okay, Abby, I get there's one God. I get there's one truth. But how in the world do you get to say your interpretation is right? I think a lot of us, I mean, I don't want to call you out specifically, but I think a lot, there are many people in this room that don't want to share Jesus because you don't want to sound like there's one way and you don't want to sound like you're a bigot. And when people challenge you with these kinds of questions, you're like, Ugh. I'm there sometimes. People go, how do you know you're right? What about your interpretation? What about the Mormons down the road? Why aren't they right? What about the disciples of Christ down the road? What about the Methodists? Are you saying they're wrong? That's the modern age today. And it hasn't really changed because this woman is a Samaritan and she's saying, how come I'm not right? How come I can't just worship what I want, where I want? This is what Jesus says next to the woman. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So in spirit and in truth means without these two things, you can't worship God. God has given us His truth so that we can rightly know Him and understand Him. And God has given His Spirit so that we can actually believe, receive, and savor the truth. 
Without the truth, your spiritual worship is blind and ignorant. And without the Spirit, you may know the truth intellectually, but you don't love it and you don't cherish it. God has called us to know Jesus and to love Jesus, and we do that by worshiping in spirit and in truth. When I read the Bible, I ask God to open my eyes by the Spirit. Before Sunday mornings, I ask God that everything we do, every prayer, every song, every service, every sermon, every conversation is grounded in what? Truth. Jesus died so that we could worship God in spirit and in truth. This is what He says in verses 25 to 26. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So you can tell all throughout Israel in first century Judea, and even in Samaria, there's this anticipation that the Deliverer is coming. And what Jesus is saying is this, you must worship in spirit and in truth. I am the truth and I'll give you living water, which is the Spirit. My prayer for Haynes Creek is that no matter how many people are up here, no matter how many instruments we have, no matter how many people are here, and no matter what this building looks like, we'll be worshiping in spirit and truth. Because there is a... There is a distinct possibility, and I know this because it happens just anywhere you could look, there are people, there are churches today that invest in this and don't invest in this. Our Our worship of God means nothing unless it's grounded in the truth. So I wanted to end with reading verses 27 through 42. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And here's, here's the last verse. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So if the central theme of this passage is worship, the climax of the passage is mission. True worship of God will always include evangelism because Jesus knows the Father. He shared the gospel with the woman at the well. Because this woman now knows Jesus, she is sharing it with other Samaritans. Here's my question today. How do we know if we're worshiping in spirit and truth? 
Is there a way to know? Is there a way for us to check ourselves every Sunday when we come in and go, okay, regardless if Ben plays his big old instrument cello-looking bass thing, if Ben's out, if we don't have this beautiful tenor voice over here, how can we make sure we're still worshiping in spirit and truth? How can we make sure that regardless of who's up here or who's here, we worship the true and living God and we worship Him the way He has prescribed? Is there a way to know? And I think there is. Read verse 42. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So a right understanding of truth and an authentic work of the Holy Spirit will ultimately lead us to the very same place, and that is the necessity and the sufficiency of Jesus as Savior. We circle back to that every single Sunday. To worship in spirit and in truth is to glory in Christ Jesus. That's how we know. Is Jesus and Jesus alone the center of every service, every Bible study, every D group, every small group? Listen to what the people say. We have heard for ourselves. They they weren't content with second hand. They went after the source. We shouldn't be content hearing about Jesus simply in our calendar devotionals. We shouldn't be content hearing about Jesus in books that we bought at Lifeway, which are good. We shouldn't be content hearing about Jesus in Facebook articles. All those can be great, but God says worship what you know. And what we know is Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. As redundant as it sounds, Haynes Creek, don't worship what you don't know. Don't chase myths about God. I'm going to challenge you here. Don't chase myths about the end times that you read online. Don't chase archaeological discoveries that finally prove that Jesus walked the earth. You don't need them. Don't chase myths and new books about Jesus that aren't grounded in Scripture. Worship in spirit and in truth. It is that simple. That's why she don't need to go to that mountain. The woman at the well, she doesn't need to even come to Jerusalem. He's saying, you want to worship God? Here I am. And he's saying the exact same thing this morning. You know, what a comfort it is to know that Jesus' kindness and love for this adulterous woman isn't dependent on how good she is, but on how good He is. I think Satan wants us to begin the gospel with what we've done. Satan wants us to conceive of the gospel starting out with what we can do. But the truth of the gospel says that salvation begins with who God is, not who you are. Or what you've done. It's not about what you've done, it's what Jesus did. If you've ever thought of the good news of Jesus in any other way, You are missing out in the sovereign grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This woman just came to the well. And then she met Jesus. 
And she found out that worship begins not with a mountain, not with a place, not with a when, but with a who. And it's the very same thing with us today. If you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, if you have not received the gift of salvation in Him, in Him alone, you don't know what it means to worship God. But it begins with Him. It is that simple. And it's that invitation that we give to you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, We just want to worship You the right way. And You've told us that it it begins and ends in spirit and in truth. Father, never let us stray far from the God of the Scriptures. From the Jesus of Calvary. From the Lion and the Lamb. Never let us try to muster worship by our own emotion and our own energy. Father, let us worship by the Spirit of God and put no confidence in the flesh, glorying in Christ Jesus and not ourselves. Father, we just want our worship to be pure and unadulterated. And You have told us that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter who we've been, but on who you are and what you've done. Father, thank you for being a God who shows kindness to an adulterous woman at the well. Because we know if there is room for anyone, there's room for everyone. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.